disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. Excited about today's podcast. We're going to talk about uh, cigar bars in Louisville. High time, right? We're also going to talk about Dr. Fauci and Rand Paul in their latest tussle. And we're going to talk about the governor of Kentucky uh, getting closer and closer to uh, essentially bringing back restrictions. We'll, we'll talk about all this stuff. We're also going to have a very special guest, my friend, uh, Councilman Anthony Piagentini, uh, who's also, by the way, a former Marine. So that's all coming up. I, I, I want to just t- kind of dive into this topic, though, about Rand Paul uh, taking on Dr. Fauci again. And I think this is my opinion, but I think Dr. Fauci is a liar. I think he's a bureaucrat that loves his power, and uh, I think he has ulterior motives. I don't know what those are. I won't pretend to ascribe specific motives to him. I just think he has ulterior motives. I think he knows, he thinks he knows better than everybody else, and he may think, in fact, he may have a good-hearted gesture where he thinks he's actually saving the planet, but I believe he's wrong. So we're going to get into all that, but before we do, a uh, quick uh, thanks to our podcast sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. I love these guys. You've heard me talk about them many times before. Uh, I talk about them because I believe in them. Um, they, I, I've actually been a uh, customer of theirs. So this is not uh, that, that I'm just talking about it because, you know, hey, they want to be a sponsor of the podcast. It's because I've actually experienced working with them before. Uh Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, Tim Montgomery, the owner, is a good friend of mine. And when we first had him in to take a look at our kitchen, we had a really bad island that just didn't work right. Whoever had put it in before didn't do a good job with it. It was clunky. It wasn't uh, laid out right. And they were able to fix it and really update it in such a way that it could be totally usable. And it was beautiful. And then we got quartz countertops. It just changed the entire look of the kitchen. And I'm confident that this is the reason why our house sold in less than a day. So... They did a great job on our kitchen, and I know that they'll do a great job on yours. They have three designers on staff, Michelle, Kelly, George. They're all waiting for your call at 502-930-3304. Uh, they'll help you put together your dream kitchen. If you already know what you want, check out their cabinets in stock. they got some great ones in stock. And just go on over to their website and check them out, LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. If you're in southern Indiana, Louisville, Odom County, really anywhere in uh, Kentucky west of, say, I-75, this is your place to get it done. So check out Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. All right, so here's Dr. Rand Paul, courtesy of C-SPAN, by the way, uh, saying that research being done in Wuhan um, actually was what created or potentially created, could have created the coronavirus. In this paper, Dr. Xi credits the NIH and lists the actual number of the grant that she was given by the NIH. In this paper, she took two bat coronavirus genes, spike genes, and combined them with a SARS-related backbone to create new viruses that are not found in nature. These lab-created viruses were then shown to replicate in humans. These experiments combine genetic information from different coronaviruses that infect animals but not humans to create novel artificial viruses able to infect human cells. Dr. Fauci repl- responds by saying that he doesn't, that Rand doesn't know what he's talking about. And Rand says, I think you're doing a dance here. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. So what was, let you me take, finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its yeah, transmissibility yeah. to humans, right. you're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. All right, so you've heard all of that. Um... Rand Paul schooled Dr. Fauci again. They're trying to change the definition of what is is, and that's how they're trying to get away with what they've done. 
but they were funding gain-of-function research. All evidence points to that direction. And I believe that Fauci is obfuscating the truth because he knows it. And he knows it blew up in his face. I don't think Fauci was doing it to create a virus because he's an evil mastermind. I think he was doing it because he's arrogant and he's full of himself. And he thought he was saving the world when he didn't have to. And I think it got away from him, or at least it got away from a lot of scientists in that community, and he's covering for them, whether, whether it was his idea or whether he's just covering for them because it's a cabal of, of, of the scientific community that's very arrogant in this case. But one way or another, this is an absolute mess. And I believe a lot of the blame lies at the feet of bureaucrats and scientific bureaucrats, which are different than regular scientists. So anyway, we might dive into that with my friend here, um, doc, uh, Councilman, I almost call him Dr. Councilman Anthony Piagentini. Uh, so I want to go ahead and bring him into the conversation, and let's get that started on this thing. You're talking about the, um, I'm recording, by the way, and I'm eating a snack while I'm recording. Talking about the cigars. Very, very, profe- very professional. <clears throat> it's a podcast, dude. It's a podcast. I don't, have to, I don't care about, I don't care about call letters anymore, man. I don't have to worry about it. You know, who, you know who pays me? Me. There you go. You know, then call, call letters. That was like Howard Stern when he was like W A B C. Yeah, there you go. There you go. W Leland Conway. There you go. Um, That's right. So the cigar bars. Is that what you were talking about? In yeah, ju- we ju- just came out of the committee meeting. All right, don't it tell anybody a- what happened. Don't tell anybody what happened. I want to save that. We're going to get to gotcha. it. Gotcha. All right. Don't tell anybody what happened. We're going to talk about cigar bars. Uh, before we do, though, there's two other things I want to get your opinion on. First of all, I'm sure by now you've seen the fight that Dr. Rand Paul and Dr. Anthony Fauci had. Yeah. Okay. Um, did did Rand Paul just eat his lunch for a second time again? Where Basically showing that the NIH was funding gain-of-function research, thereby possibly being responsible for the entire mess that we've dealt with for the last year and a half? Yeah, I think so. So here's the, here's the deal, right? And I think uh, Dr. Paul, uh, Senator Paul, needed to um, clarify a couple times because what is typical of those who are trying to defend their position is that they straw man the argument, Right. Right. So what what Dr. Fauci started doing was very, very uh, coy of him. He's a very smart man. Mm-hmm. Right. And he started doing the you know, you, you, you're indicating you're indicating that, uh, you know, NIH funding uh, created the coronavirus and all this stuff. And Senator Paul's like, whoa, whoa, I didn't say that. He's like, what I said was we have funded uh, gain of function research at that laboratory. Right. We don't know if it was uh, directly related to or not. But the bottom line is NIH has been part of funding gain of function research and very much cited specifically the research in uh, in what it was trying to accomplish that was funded through this NIH sort of thing. And the way it works is NIH funds groups, those groups fund studies. Right. So it's a right. little funky. Yeah. But he c- cited that very clearly. But I mean, yeah, Dr. Fauci just kept deflecting it into other arguments that Dr. Paul had, and Senator Paul had to come keep coming back and saying, look, that's not what I said. Right. right. What I said was this. So he was pretty clear. And, and look, um, I, you know, I get that Dr. Fauci is, um, yeah, he has his opinions and he's passionate and he's upset and whatever. Right. But, you know, this is why. And this is going to come to this whole discussion we're going to have related to cigar bars. This is why public health officials aren't elected officials. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Dr. Fauci wasn't elected to do anything. Right. The, uh, the problem is our six, elected officials are, are as a cop out handing over control damn by, right. by basing policy on what these uh, you damn know, right. on what these these bureaucrats think. Um, and, but, and that's yeah. that's I think that's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, because, look, if. Um, for example, the Delta variant, right? Yep. So Governor Bashir has come out and, and even uh, in certain circumstances, vaccinated people, you know, wear masks. Da, da, da. Now, there's no study that actually says if you're vaccinated and wear a mask in these circumstances, you know, you're less likely. There's no study that says that. OK, right, right. Um, so that's number one. Number two, uh, again, like where if we're up to his public health director. If we're up to the public health director in Jefferson County, if we're up to Dr. Fauci, uh, if you think you would have any freedom to eat what you want, uh, do what you want, um, 
uh, enjoy certain sports, do certain jobs. How many jobs are dangerous? Right. Right. How many? You, you know, how, you know how many more people sugar has killed? Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Than, yeah. Than 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 even coronavirus. Right. Um, you know, th- th- but we're not banning sugar. Right. Um, you know, so but if you crack the door and I think that's what's happened here, I think to your point, elected leaders are abdicating their responsibility, which is to take into account all points of view. And that doesn't mean that public health officials, they, they should be out there educating people, providing them the data, right. inter- interpreting the data so I can make an informed decision related to my life. But that's my decision. Yeah, it's turned it's turned science on its head. Because we can, right. the, the elected officials go out, they get one expert, put him in a bureaucratic role that they think lines up with whatever their political agenda is. And then whatever that person says becomes essentially de facto law. And, it, and there's not that that deliberative process. In fact, when you when you try to deliberate with these people, what you end up is getting censored. And that that is the most dangerous thing of all, because here's my thing is we enter the second. This is what you would call the third wave of the virus. Right. With the Delta thing. And, sure. and, and this understand that when the fear from the Delta thing falls off, then we're going to have the Lambda strain. And when that falls off, we're right. going to have the Omega strain and so on and so forth. Right. And then the Zeta strain. And it's going to keep going because these people, these people are addicts. OK, these bureaucrats and these politicians are addicts. They have they they, they do not solve the, the, your problems. They solve their own problems. And the drug that they have of choice is your attention and your relevance. That's what people need to understand about how our country is run today. We are run by bureaucrats who have been handed the problems of the country by politicians who put them in place to fix their agenda. And they are busy about not solving our problems, but solving their own problems. And they're addicted to our attention. They're addicted to their own relevance. They're addicted to their own importance. And it's a big feeding cycle that leaves the American people completely out. Well, I'll tell you, I think it's even simpler than that. I I disagree with nothing you've said. But I think it's even simpler than that. Um, there's been a multi-decade ever since the government started funding scientific research. And I mean, in broad scale, not like, you know, a couple bucks here and there in the beginning of the founding of the country. Right. Or something. I'm talking about broad scale scientific funding. Right. The scientists became big government uh, they became married to big government and big government policy because their funding and their, their their income, their life, their work was completely predicated on that information. So, for example, the local and that goes all the way to the local level. So the national level, you have people applying for grant studies. You have people employed by the NIH. You have people, you know, you have all these people, these labs all over the world now, we know, including in Wuhan, who are getting money from American taxpayers, from you and me, right, to fund their research, to fund their livelihood, right? right. Now, I'm not, now, I'm not saying that scientific research isn't important, but the catch is when government is your primary funder, right, no longer does that scientific research have to have any utility. No longer does that scientific research have any scrutiny in the open market, mm. scrutiny by other scientists. It is only what the politician who is who is approving or the bureaucrat, really, who's approving that grant proposal believes or doesn't believe. Right. right. And that goes all the way down to the local level, the local level. Uh, we just got some of these federal funding and some of it went directly to the, to the local Department of Health. She sees our local public health director is Dr. Sarah Moyer. Uh, she, make no mistake in it, sees her ability to continue to fund a larger department that she has larger control over based on uh, the uh, uh, the extension of this uh, public health pandemic. And then what else can she start to get into, right? Yeah. Well, then that n- now it's gun violence or now it's this thing and that's this other thing, you know, and now it's addiction and it's going to be the next crisis, the next crisis, the next crisis. Shouldn't be bigger to bigger departments, more funding, more income. Yeah, this uh, we've opened up a can of worms here too in terms of discussion because you're, I think you're absolutely right. And it kind of, it kind of, um, it, it kind of brings it full circle to the fact that uh, understanding that fu- funding science with government money was originally to solve a problem that we had also we had a, a problem with corrupted science when speaking of sugar when the private companies were funding it right if, and private right. companies still do fund some True. science. But there was a fear that it would get corrupted like it did with the Harvard study in sugar and saturated fat. Right. Essentially, it turns out the sugar industry funded the anti-saturated fat uh, studies. And even to this day. Yeah. Even to this day, they demonize saturated fat and they don't really go after sugar that much. But 
so this was supposed to solve the problem, but this kind of dives to that whole heart of the idea of socialism where leftists maybe with good hearts think that the government can solve all these problems, but they, they their biggest mistake, and I posted this on Twitter yesterday, I was like, stop falling for the conspiracy theory that the government cares about you. Their biggest mistake is that the governor, the government is somehow the great unbiased arbiter of uh, all things that need to be arbitrated. And, and that's the thing is like, I don't know how we solve this problem because I don't necessarily want private companies funding science with strings attached either. But it's clear the government isn't capable of funding science without strings attached as well. Did Thomas, did you ever read how Thomas Sowell switched from being a Marxist to being uh, the free market capitalist he is as an economist? You're familiar with that story? I'm not familiar with that particular story. I knew he used to be a Marxist and now he's one of my heroes, but I'm not familiar with the story of how he switched. Oh, I, I read his books, highlight them, and they're wonderful. So he switched because he worked for the Department of Labor. And he commissioned, he started working on a study determining the impacts of the minimum wage. Department of Labor uh, is responsible at a federal level to implement the the minimum wage laws. So he started to analyze the impacts, finding that the impact was actually amazingly bad, particularly for low-skilled African-American men. So he started uh, circulating his research, right, his you know, this is, you know, tried and true, very, uh, he didn't have a dog in the fight. He was just doing, running the numbers. And that's what the results were. Uh, The Department of Labor hierarchy flips out on him because they're what he, and what he realized, and this is where he made the big conversion, was that the Department of Labor had, has had no interest in the truth. They had every interest in supporting and perpetuating their existence. Mm. So if you challenge the existence that if you challenge the fact that the minimum wage law actually hurts people and then somebody repeals it and the Department of Labor and a big chunk of it, at least, goes away, you have destroyed their existence and right. they need to exist and thrive. And so the, he realized the government was its own machine with its own interest that, to your point, had nothing to do with the interests of the people it was governing. And that's where he made the big conversion. Well, it's funny because my comment about the politicians not solving their own problems actually comes from Thomas Sewell. He actually said that. And and I kind of expounded on that a little bit by, you know, kind of saying, first of all, we are not, our country is not run by politicians. It's run by bureaucrats. And bureaucrats have a vested interest, as you just accurately pointed out, in staying and doing what they're doing. These are people who are hired to solve problems that they never want to actually solve because solving right. the problem puts them out of work. Puts them out of work. Right. That's right. And yeah. the government is is made up of mostly bureaucrats. Then we have these elected officials who are basically, by today's standards, nothing more than reality TV stars, and they're not trying to solve mine and your problems. They're trying to solve their own problems. Now, to the extent that mine and your problems become their problems, that's how we get politicians to act. But if you'll notice, whenever politicians act, this is what happens when – you see a bill that gets passed, and it'll be like the American Recovery and Restoration Act. But then when you actually look at it, you realize that it was the bureaucrats who wrote it, and it doesn't restore or recover anything. It just That's continues right. those bureaucrats, right? So the, the politicians see that we're mad because we need restoration and recovery. They brand a bill, restoration and recovery, hand the blank paper to the bureaucrats who write the bill, politicians pass it, tell us they solved our problem. Meanwhile, things get worse and bureaucrats get pay raises. That's essentially how our country works. And we have to understand that at its very core. Yeah. That's how it works. Well, and, and and what's even worse, or just as worse at least, and I actually have a solution, by the way, for the scientific funding thing in a second here, but the, All right, I hear what's, even, what's, what's even worse than the bureaucrats uh, writing all these bills, it is the private interests. How do you think they can, in such a short period of time, produce a 4,000-page bill, right? Right. It is, be- it is because there are lobbyists. That's right. There are lobbyists and there are policymakers, but both bureaucrats, so it's government bureaucrats, they have some pre-written stuff because they've been wargaming and thinking and drafting it for years, right, before they finally you know, got it to that point. And then you have private businesses you know, who, who are paying a bunch of lobbyists. And I can't, I have watched it happen. I've watched happen not on Metro Council, but in other circumstances, in other jurisdictions, I won't say exactly where, but I'm telling you I've seen it with first-hand knowledge, elected officials emailing, texting, uh, uh, paid private sector lobbyists who are handing them language mm-hmm. for, for all that stuff, and they are just moving it forward. 
Right. So now, again, I'm not saying that they don't have everybody has a voice in this. But here's my this plays into my solution for the scientific funding thing. Disclosure. Right. Yeah. In a scientific study, in a scientific study, you have to disclose all the authors. Right. So the bottom of the first page, you'll see or actually top of the page. You'll see this was written by Dr. Smith and Dr. Jones and Dr. Whoever. Right. And all this stuff. Right. It is. What they will do on the funding side of it, right? And sometimes they'll re- some studies reveal it, some don't, but they'll make up these crazy ass names, right? And they'll say, "Oh, this was funded by this group or that group." You don't know who's behind that group. Full and complete disclosure and visibility into who is funding all of these things, right? right? So then, you, so then you know if if the anti sugar study was done by the fat people and the fat study was done by the sugar, you know what I'm saying? Right, like, right, right. Then at least you know and you can scrutinize it effectively. You you said fat people, um, but okay, <laughs> I, 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 I this is awesome, and I I was gonna about to say I thought they were supposed to, you know, name who funded it, but you're right. That what'll happen is, uh, company uh, Bob's Widgets, who needs certain things done will form a charitable nonprofit and it'll right. be called like the American Institute for Advancement of Advancing and right. they'll fund it and you won't know that it's Bob's widgets that funded it it's the American advancement you know institution for the advancement of advancing and you're like oh well that sounds good and we move on so you're you're a hundred percent right um <laughs> Let me tell you something. I myself was, I will just tell you, I was part of a girl's, you know, I've look, I've been in private sector industry for 20 years yeah. who put together, we worked with a PR firm related to our private interest. And we created this, like, it was like the association of people concerned with better health or whatever. <laughs> right, was. right. And it was, it was all backed by a bunch of companies where right, right. it was, right. you know, for, for, to, to create a public persona. The PR companies are paid a fortune to do this kind of stuff, right? And right. to look like they are grassroots organizations. If I think, even with this NIH thing, it wasn't the NIH that directly cut a check to the Wuhan Institute. Right. It was the NIH cut it to a third party that third party cut it to the right. Wuhan Institute. Right. You know, so that's why you, you, you say like, oh, no, no, we didn't fund that. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, because well, the it, group you funded funded it. Right. You know? It's the yeah. same thing they're doing with definitions. Fauci has had some people to change around the definition so that it's right. no longer called gain of function research. It's something else. So when the accusation, accurate as it may be, of funding gain of function research is leveled, they can they can somewhat quasi accurately say that that's not what it is. It's now that's something. not my definition. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so I I agree with you, and I think we could probably get into the weeds on uh, disclosure of political donations, but I think it's apples to oranges because I think a lot of our friends on the left, Anthony, will say, "Well, you guys don't want you know people's political donations to be transparent," and I'm like. Well, here's the difference. When you're talking about science, there's supposed to be zero politics involved, which means when there is supposed to be zero politics involved and it is influencing public policy, then it 100% has to be disclosed. That's very different from somebody saying, I own a business and I don't want anybody to know that I'm giving to this politician, but I'm going to do it. Um, those are that One is free speech and the other is get, you know quality information with which to make policy decisions upon. And That's so, right. so th- those are the two things. I'm just kind of heading off an argument. I'm going to hear my liberal friends saying to me per- before we even <laughs> get finished with this conversation, because they're going to be like, right. yeah, but you said, um, so to this point, because I, I, I agree with you that this idea of disclosure should be there because then people like Fauci couldn't weasel out of things in front of, you know, Dr. Rand Paul. And the sad part about all this is, is that the media is hailing Fauci as a hero and bouncing all over Paul because Fauci was able to use his reworked word salad, you know, pretzel definition of what this is. And everybody's like, oh, look, he's innocent. This is driving me nuts because this is what I was going to go back to. We're seeing this kind of play out in real time. Like, I think the vaccine is a miracle of modern science. I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not anti-vaccine. However, we should by now have and I believe we do have. They're just not allowed to talk about it. Therapeutics that could be almost as effective as the vaccine for those who don't Mm -hmm. want to take the vaccine. And I've actually heard a really powerful podcast with Brett Weinstein, and I can't remember the doctor's name, who was an ICU doctor. They were on with Joe Rogan. Um, I'm fine promoting somebody else's podcast in this case because I want to give credit where where I heard it. But they were talking about ivermectin, and um, just me saying that right there might get this podcast dampened for some reason. But 
the the point is the the data shows that it was very very effective and that the, what they were saying was look if we had a two-pronged approach they weren't anti-vaccine they were like if we had a two-pronged approach for those who are uncomfortable with the vaccine which is still experimental then they could take this therapeutic and the fact that we don't have this therapeutic is because we're not allowed to talk about it this all circles back to who benefits well, the pharmaceutical companies benefit because they have no mm -hmm. liability if there ever is found to be long-term effects to the vaccine. And they're also able to collude with these bureaucrats to keep us from talking about any alternative ways yeah. of dealing with this fight. So the fact that we're sitting here with a third wave of this virus, politicians are panicking, wringing their hands and calling press conferences and bringing back restrictions. We should not have to worry about this when half the country and half the state of Kentucky is vaccinated. That's Most right. of the rest of them have had the virus, so they've got the natural antibodies. And those that are left over should be able to have access to these therapeutics. But we can't because of big business. Well, and, and even look at the – so there's a couple things. Even look at the way they're saying it, right? We're, cases are up 70% week over week. Well, if your cases got down to 100 for the entire week, in the state of Kentucky of 4 million people and went to 170. Yes, it's up 70%, but it's still like this incredibly minuscule number, right? right. So first of all, you, they got to put, they are a, a big stats guy and I get drives me crazy when I see people, they use very selective numbers. They don't say, well, it went from 100 to 170 because they were, because people remember when we were talking about 2000, Right. And so people are like, oh, well, wait a minute. The 170 is still pretty damn good. Right. right like that's right, right. way lower than it used to. Be. So they don't use that. Right. They say oh, it's up 70 percent because that's more impactful. You're scared, freaking out. Right? right. So, I mean, and the other thing is, look, I, look, I'm vaccinated. Right. And I, when I had I delayed it a little bit because and, and look, I actually had COVID. Right? I had COVID. I kind of got vaccinated for two reasons. Number one, I, I, to your point, I think it's a miracle of modern medicine. Right. I didn't know, you know, you know uh, what all the story was. I know uh, some of it's been released by Congressman Massey and by Senator Paul related to what the impact on people that have had it, that have gotten it. There's no discernible difference for those that get the vaccine after they've been infected. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I was just like, look, I, I prefer to get it, right? That was my choice. No yep. problem. I'm a relatively healthy guy. But for me, it's an and policy, right? Right. Put the vaccine out there make it ubiquitously available and right do this it's think about but but think about the difference between conservatives or or libertarian minded people and and leftists right so for example i'll bring it to energy policy right there's nobody on the conservative side that's saying ban electric cars right right, right. The, if you want to drive an electric car drive a freaking congressman massey drives a freaking yeah. tesla <laughs> yeah right okay so, so and he has a free. Tesla wall. That's how he powers his house. He's completely off the D grid. He powers right. it by solar. Exactly right. So, so feel free to, if you want a windmill, get a windmill. You want to do hydropower? Great, hydropower. But I'm not trying to ban oil at the same time. Right. The leftist would say, oh, no, no, no. I want to ban oil and force you to use. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Hold on. Time out a second. Right. Let's get all the options on the table, right? And and give this is what this whole experiment is supposed to be: freedom, information, freedom. So, get all the options on the table: therapeutics, the vaccine, and all that. And then we get to make choices. Yeah, we get to make choices, right? And so, but but that is always when you look again over multiple issues. Right, you will see conservatives and 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 libertarian-minded people saying it's it's all in policy. I want all of it, right? Put it all in and let's talk about it, right? Leftists, it's very much a picky choosy for this against that. If I'm against it, it's getting banned. Period. End of conversation. Well, and I want to point this out. This is a perfect storm where the interests of two not normally bedfellows align. Vast majority of leftist politicians loved up until now to hate pharmaceutical companies. It was one of their biggest enemies. But for except now, Cor except Cory Booker. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, but <laughs> but for now, that is. You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's, that, right. that's the perfect storm that we've seen here, because so long as you're afraid and there's only one way to go through that gate and there's only right. one person you can look to to give credit for who's giving you that way. The politicians yeah. are giving you this great vaccine. There's no other way. And you're afraid the, the politicians get their relevance. The vaccine companies get their money. And you and I don't get choice. And there's an interesting, my friend Mandy Connell, who used to uh, do the slot that I did for WHS for a long time in Louisville, posted a very interesting, uh, you like charts and data, 
Um, and it was the it was uh, the UK's second and third COVID waves, and they were looking at numbers, right? So in the in the second wave in Great Britain, there were thirty three cases per one hundred thousand people, and there were thirty five deaths per ten million in the population. Okay, mm-hmm. the third wave that's the one we're in now, the Delta variant. There are thirty three point six cases, almost an identical number, number of cases right. per one hundred thousand in population. The deaths, 2.1 per 10 million. Compared to 30-something point. Yeah, right. Correct. So, so, so going back to what you said earlier, there's almost no one dying from this wave. Very, yeah. very few. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying there's almost no one dying from this wave. And yet we're acting as though we need to shut the country down again. Everyone has to go back to wearing masks. We can't go to restaurants anymore. We can't do any of this stuff. And it's as if we've learned nothing. And and the, the reason those deaths are down is precisely because we have the vaccine. That's number one. And so many people have already been infected with it. Even if you're reinfected with it, your chances of dying are probably pretty low. So, th- th- again, I just want to point that out. I mean, because you like data and I like data. And that no one's talking about that in the media. No yeah. one is bringing that up in the media. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a matter of fact. Right. And and putting all the facts in proper context. Right. And being and being apples to apples comparison, you know, for like there, even on this cigar bar thing, I'll tell you what just happened. For example, right. They were talking about uh, the public health director and they had a doctor come who's a pulmonologist talk about how cigar smoking a cigar has the same amount of carcinogens as a pack of cigarettes. Now, Let's accept that as fact, right? Yeah, they but you don't inhale study. it. You don't inhale it like well, you do a cigarette. Oh, no, it's even it's even easier than that. Okay. You're right, but it's even easier than that. Let's accept that at face value, right? right? Do you know how many uh, cigars your average premium cigar smoker smokes compared to cigarette smokers? Oh, like, not, yeah, no, nowhere near. I smoke a cigar maybe near. once a year. You, t- two a year for me, right? right? So, 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 so The Derby this, and Keeneland. That's right. And, and that is exactly the point, right? The question is not whether, and nobody debated whether that cigar is more or less than a pack of cigarettes or whatever, right? The question is overall outcome. Are more people die, are, are infrequent cigar smokers dying like cigarette smokers do, where there's like direct correlation between cigarettes? The answer is no. They couldn't cite one study in which that was true. So they can sit there and harp on, well, cigarettes or cigars have the same amount of carcinogens. That's not the question. The question is outcome. What is the outcome in, in, in related to smoking? It's lung cancer. It's death. Related to the coronavirus, it's death. Yeah. So it, the question is not whether or not the infection rate is up. The question is whether or not that has significant, serious, deleterious health effects, including death. And what are those rates? Put it all out there. But, yeah, they keep talking about these rates. They're always... When I say they, public health officials and others that have political motivations are always very careful about which numbers they use and which ones they don't because they're pushing a narrative 95% of the time. Which you have done an admirable, like you should think about going into media when you're done with all your politics and stuff because you've done an admirable transition to the topic I really had you on for in the first place. (laughs) You you and I always get into these like rabbit trail conversations and they're fun and I know that the listeners enjoy it so that's why I wanted to do this but it's relevant to this conversation that we're having, as you've just made clear. Totally. It, it blows my mind. And so let's let's transition into that. You would like you you've filed an ordinance that would basically amend the smoke free law to allow for cigar bars to be put in place in Louisville. It, it, it blows my mind that grown ass adults can't make their own decision in big cities about being able to go in some place and just just have a cigar. Um, you know, I understand the smoke ordinances i disagree with them I, I i prefer my wife's allergic to cigarette smoke i would prefer to, to not have i mean i kind of enjoy the benefits of most places banning cigarette smoking indoors but i also there was always a choice and i would always frequent a place that said hey we're not going to allow smoking in our establishment right there's there's plenty to go around when you have freedom so i always right. support freedom but if you're going to have these rules why not have the ability to at least have a cigar bar so so you filed a, a legislation in Louisville Metro Council that would allow Louisville to have cigar bars. How, what are you asking for? What's been the reaction? I know you had a meeting today. You had a, a committee meeting. What's going on with that? So first of all, let me be clear about what it does and doesn't do, right? It, 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 you, in, 
it would only create standalone cigar bars. So there is no way, and I'll explain why, that like a restaurant could just allow cigar smoking, right? What it will allow is if you generate 51% or more of your revenue from premium cigar sales, then you can have a designated smoking location in that thing. You can't be connected to other non-smoking businesses. Uh, you have to be over 21 to go in, all kinds of other regulations, right? So essentially, think of it this way. And, and in New Jersey, there was a place like this when, where I was growing up. It was a huge cigar retailer called JR's, right? And you'd walk in, huge place. Walk in, and you sort of look around, and you pick out a box of cigars. Uh, or maybe you're like, I don't know if I want this box or that box. And you would buy one. And you would go into the smoke room and Just smoke. Just test it, it. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And then you'd come out and buy that box, right? Or maybe the other one. But the bottom line is, you, it, is it was set up in a way that if you are a cigar purveyor. So the first point is, the people walking in there are cigar smokers, and they know exactly what they're walking into. It's the, 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 it was, some of the arguments against it were so absurd. Like, well, what, what about the general public? And They won't walk in. It's not like they're going to be walking. Oh, look at this. This uh, this looks like a nice church. Oh, walk in. It's a cigar bar. Oh, my yeah. God. No. It is going to be a place where cigars are sold, and that is their primary business model. Yeah. Um, now, they can, they're allowed to sell alcohol on premises. They're allowed to have their own food. But again, if they turned into a bar, right, and just start selling tons of alcohol with, like, one cigar, they won't meet the 51% requirement. So right. this was really for cigar purveyors to give their clients an opportunity to sample the product before they're purchasing it, before they walk out. I, I think this is brilliant, um, and it's 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 high time, and what you're doing is you're standing up for freedom. I, a buddy of mine, Jake Glancy, right. owns uh, Jake's Cigar Bar over in um, uh, Jesmond County. It's, it's right on the border of basically Jesmond County and Fayette County, because in Fayette County, he can't own this business. It's been around, gosh, for maybe 10, 12 years, maybe even longer than that. And it is a it is an incredibly classy establishment. That's it, right. It's beautiful. Uh, they have an, an, a very high tech filtration system, so that like my wife couldn't go in there and sit down, but you or I could go in, and it would just have this sort of faint smell of really nice, pleasurable smell of cigars and whiskey. You know, and it's very classy. That's Again, right. it's very it's a very classy environment. They got all kinds of cool stuff. They've got like. You know, you can you can play uh, what's that beanbag game outside? Um, cornhole. Cornhole. You can play cornhole. You know, it's 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 just, it's it's very high class, and it's a great place for people to just hang out, enjoy a glass of bourbon, smoke a cigar, um, you know, high end stuff, middle of the road stuff, whatever. And there's 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 no reason why you can't have this. And of course, they sell thousands and thousands and thousands of cigars. Right. It's it is unbelievable to me because nobody who doesn't want this on them is going to go to that establishment. Zero. That's right. It's not like we're going to Applebee's and somebody's smoking at the bar and it's wafting into my booth section. This is a cigar destination. And if you don't That's want right. that stuff or you're allergic to that stuff, you will never set foot in it. But if you do, don't, don't. then you will make that yep. choice. It was the arguments were unbelievably disingenuous, right? In other words, uh, there was an argument made about... Um, uh, well, my inspectors, because they're serving food and alcohol, they have to go in there. Well, how often does a health inspector oh go into one of these establishments? The answer is twice a year. For, <laughs> let's just say for a moment that they're in there for an hour each. So they're in there for two hours a year. Right. Okay? Right. I actually said to the public health director, I said, you know, it was privately, it wasn't on chamber's floor, but I said, you know, do you have one study that says that inspectors of cigar bars have a higher <laughs> risk of cancer, incidence of cancer? And of course, the answer is no. Right. right? right. So that's a bunk art. Again, like you are a scientist. You are a doctor. Shouldn't your opinions be faced based on that fact? Here's how absurd it got on the floor of the committee. The same public health director and department, we uh, and I supported this last year. We had a vote on um, we it was a resolution. So it didn't have a it wasn't an ordinance, which is a law. Right. It's a resolution. So it's more of a statement of opinion. Right. Of the council to make marijuana. And by that, the use not dealing, but the private use of it, the lowest we said, the lowest um, criminal priority. Right. So for law enforcement, we said, look, we don't want you to spend a lot of time on somebody smoking a joint. 
Okay, that was our <laughs> that was our point, right? Okay, we it's want you to stuff, spend your time man. going after going after yeah, going after <laughs> now. Now again, I don't smoke marijuana. I don't advocate for anybody too. I think it's a complete waste of your time. And I've been accused. I've care. been accused of moving to Colorado specifically for that reason. Just it's for not that, true. Yeah. I've never smoked it in my life. Yeah. But 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 the point is, it's just not a high priority, right? Again, factually, statistically, it's not a huge crime issue. Somebody smoking a joint now, dealing particularly heavy drugs and all that, absolutely, that's part of our, our gang and gun violence problem in this city. Okay, the health department advocated for, actually wrote a letter to council supporting us essentially decriminalizing. I mean, we couldn't actually decriminalize because the state controls that. Yeah. But essentially decriminalizing smoking marijuana. But God forbid you smoke cigars. Right. Right. Like that, like that's how absurd it got. And that was even asked on the floor. Like, didn't did you guys speak out against that? She said, no, we didn't speak out against it. We wrote in support of allowing people more autonomy related to smoking marijuana, but not. So, but cigars, they are flipping out no as sense. if the sky is falling. Yeah. It got so ridiculous. One of the comments was, well, uh, we are one of 10 cities that has the gold medal standard from the American <laughs> Cancer Society related to our smoking ordinance. Right. And I said to, the, I said to uh, the public health director, I said, I don't care about your gold medal. Like, what does that have to do with any decision I'm ne- making next time about that public comes up, Next time that comes up, ask them what the prevalence of cancer rates in the Louisville area are as compared to other cities their size um, as a result of the other pollutions that are running rampant in the city of Louisville. Well, and, and not to mention, well, of course, not to mention, so they did put up stats since, for example, again, this is how it dr- drives me crazy to say, we didn't have enough time for me to dis- dissect every part of their absurd, some of their absurd arguments. But one of them, they put up the um, reduction and over time, over the past 20 years, and I think the smoking ordinance went into place 2007 or something like that. Don't quote me, but somewhere around right, there. Right. Since then, what's been the reduction of um, incidents of cancer, lung cancer and all that stuff? And it's down, but it's not. They have zero causality related to the smoking. Uh, how ordinance. much is it down? How much is it down? It's like down from like you know. I don't know. She put this. If it was twenty seven percent, now it's twenty two percent or something like that. Right? Yeah, because what you're saying, where you're going with correlation, is important because since two thousand seven, how much is the instances of people who smoke down? It's it, down. Well, it's well, down well more than the percentage that cancer is down. And not to mention, there has been many economists who have reported on this, that the real reason that people have stopped smoking has absolutely nothing to do with any public health effort that has ever been established. They've run a few regression studies, and basically they all come to the same conclusion. The higher you raise the taxes on cigarettes, the less people smoke them. Right. So it's it's good old straight up supply and demand the state legislators have taxed the crap out of cigarettes and they keep using it as a vehicle to fund all kinds of other things. And this is actually, there's economists that have uh, won Nobel prizes on um, actually figuring out how bad politicians do at predicting tax income. And this is exactly why. So th- let's just say a pack of cigarettes today is you know, years ago. It was five right, bucks, right? right? God knows how many years ago, but let's say a pack of cigarettes was five bucks. Let's say the state legislature is going to increase uh, the tax by a dollar, right? To fund, and they're usually funding healthcare with it. They'll fund, oh, we're going to fund children's healthcare, with it, right? <laughs> right? Okay. So if there's a million packs of cigarettes sold a year, making up numbers here, and you increase it by a dollar, you think, oh, we're going to get a million dollars out of this, right? Except as things get more expensive, people buy less of it. Right, right. right. That is that is true no matter, I don't care that what That which you punish, about. you get less of. That which you incentivize, you get more of. That's right. So they put in their budget, we're going to get a million dollars of revenue for this program. And then at the end of the year, they're like, oh, my God, how come we only got 650,000? I can't figure that out. Right. Right. There, there are two economists that won the Nobel Prize, I want to say like 10 years ago, because they actually created a model explaining and predicting how much less revenue you will get when you because of behavior change right? right so in reality the reduction in smoking that we've seen across this country has far less to do with any public health effort as far as like education or you know people liking or disliking smoking has far more to do with we have taxed and raised the raise the cost of smoking yeah. into the stratosphere so people are doing far less of it yeah. and fine right and, and, but but that is a uh, uh, this whole thing about um, but that is what has changed behavior right this idea that she's well since we passed it this happened show me 
the causality, right? There are so many other variables. This is what I love economists. They do regression analysis. You put in 15 variables into the equation and find out which one has the highest correlation to the to what you're actually trying to measure, right? That, you know, single uh, variable analysis, well, we changed this law and this came down as if there's no other societal and other variables that you could have stuck into that equation that could be could account for that change. It's absurd. Yeah. I, by the way, you just described exactly why I hate behavioral taxes, because um, what what at the heart and core of it is when you as a politician try to tax my behavior as a free American. What you're actually doing is hoping that I continue that which you consider to be bad so that you can reap the revenue rewards for it, especially yep. especially and it, and it and it betrays that what I think is an, is an absolute immorality on the part of government. It betrays it when they say we're going to we're going to tax you for smoking cigarettes, uh, which is a free person you're legally allowed to do, um, and we're going to use it to fund children's stuff, because what that is, is it's a bait and hook and switch. Right. Because they they know that eventually you're, when they tax it to a certain point exactly. or, or they'll read that model and they'll go, you know, what, we're only going to tax it 50 cents because if we tax it 50 percent, 50 cents, we'll get this much revenue. But if we tax it 55, we'll get that much. In other words, it's the same. It's the same idea behind traffic uh, cameras where in Florida they got caught. One of the reasons why a lot of traffic cameras that issued tickets were are now being basically thrown out of court and you're seeing less and less of that. There was a huge uh, spread of those throughout the country. Cincinnati had a big case that was really na- nationwide. But in Florida, they got caught because they were taking the traffic cameras and when 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 they would put when they put the cameras on there and they were giving tickets for, you know, running the light or going too fast, people slowed down, they stopped running the light. Well, then the revenue dried up from it. And they were getting less revenue when they were just out there pulling people over now and then. And so they mm-hmm. started adjusting the time of the yellow light. So they were tricking people into running the red light. And again, it exposed that immorality of government when they when they're doing things, when they're punishing activity for the sake of revenue. To me, that is the height of immorality. And it's exactly what the government should not be doing. Well, or even a more simple model, even even if you even if that that doesn't happen right where you really I mean, that's like rampant type corruption. But but let's let's even take a simpler thing. Right. So they use the cigarettes. Well, now people are smoking less cigarettes, which which is ostensibly what you public health. Right. What we wanted. Right. That's right. So now we have less money for the children's health care program. <laughs> right. So what do we need? We to have do to, to tax somebody else. Program? That's the switch. We have to tax somebody else. Exactly. Right? And I mean, eventually you run out of, as you know, as Margaret Thatcher once said, eventually you run out of other people's money. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. You know, exactly. So, yeah, it's completely absurd. By the way, um, you mentioned marijuana earlier. And you know why I love marijuana? No, I've never smoked it in my life. Uh, but I, I was I was uh, reading the newspaper here because my listeners know I live in Colorado now, um, and I was reading the newspaper up in Denver, and it had a hilarious story. It wasn't meant to be hilarious, but it was a new study shows that marijuana, the reason why price values or home values are going up in Colorado. And I was cracking up because I was like, first of all, uh, potheads can't afford <laughs> house prices right. in Colorado. I'm like, that is not the reason my value is going up. My value is going up because the people who created the cesspool of California are fleeing the cesspool of California and the cesspool of New York. And they're coming here to Colorado because they get good weather and uh, dramatic, beautiful scenery. And they're going to recreate the cesspool that they had there because they still don't realize it was their fault. But that's the reason my home value is going up. But I was like, boy, I tell you what, if this is true, and I didn't read the functionality of the study, but I was like, if this is true, I love potheads because <laughs> right, my home value has gone up friend. like 30% in the last two years. Yeah. So um, so what are the chances that you get a little more freedom in Louisville because of what you're doing here? Or do you get the sense from that meeting today that it's just going to be full stop wall in front of you? It's going to be tough. It passed out of it. It was a tie vote today, but there was a, a hard yes vote. Um, she wasn't able to make the meeting today. So we, it would have passed out of committee with a recommendation. Uh, there was one person that voted present that I think, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get there by the time we hit the floor. So we probably had four out of six votes, right? Four, right? Again, it passed two for, two against, and one present. Okay. Again, one person wasn't there who was for it. The person that voted present, I think we'll get there, uh, is, is a pretty pro-freedom person, and I think we'll get there ultimately. They're not a big fan of cigars, but you know they're a fan of freedom, and, yeah. and that's what's yeah. important, right? Yeah. So, so here's the catch, though. When we go to the floor, I actually think we've got a pretty good show. This is a bipartisan ordinance. We've got Democrats supporting it from all over this city, from the West End, the South End, and myself, a Republican from the East End. We've got people from all over this city. Uh, supporting this, representatives. 
Here's the catch. I think I can get it passed. I think the mayor's going to veto it, and I think we're going. To, I think we're going to need to have at least eighteen votes to override his veto. And uh, probably so that's not, what I'm probably not. Enough. So that's what I'm. That's what I'm eyeballing. So uh, it's actually not not out of the realm of possibility, but it's going to be. It's going to be a climb. You can always count on Fisher to not err on the side of freedom. <laughs> well, and, and and here's the other thing. Here's the other reality of the situation. You know how many cigar bars there are across the across the river in Indiana? Oh yeah, they're get they're they're just they're banking over there. It, that's right. And, and 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 look, I am the same guy. Right, I'm the same Republican that calls out gladly publicly my state Republican counterparts. Now, many of them, Damon Thayer and others, Senator Thayer and others, are for uh, providing gaming, letting gaming right. be legal right, right. in the state. And, and God bless them. Right, that's exactly the position we should have, because something like seventy plus percent of the casinos that are on the river in Indiana are Kentucky money. Yeah, I'm yeah. tired. That's the dumbest tired thing. Tired. Yeah, of seeing Kentucky money go across the river. Done with it. Well, and meanwhile, we have casinos in Kentucky. They're just called of historical course. racing. We have we have freaking slot machines. They're just called historical racing. It's the biggest boondoggle. And and there, boy, we could go down another road of of talk about cronyism <laughs> and all this stuff. Yeah. But all of these topics tie together, right? And it's like guys like you and me are just kind of scratching our heads, going, "Why can't people just have liberty?" And what we've just described for forty five minutes is how complicated liberty can be when special interests get involved, and that's that's part of the well, problem. I it's why, as I get older, I get more and more libertarian. I, it was. I was at an event yesterday with some young Republicans. Jason, Representative Jason Nemus was there. Love uh, that guy. Was, he, he, he is part of my district, and he said to me, he, he said to the crowd, he said, "You know what it comes down to for me is what sort of the defining value of being a conservative, or Republican, or Libertarian, right? So right leaning. It's who the hell is the government?" to tell me what I can and can't do, right. right? Who the hell is it? You know, and that's the defining thing. Like when you listen to the arguments made where it's the cigar bar ordinance or gaming and stuff, the question you have to repeat in your head is, yeah. who are you, the government, to tell me that this is right or wrong or whatever? Yeah. You might have a moral objection to it. Fine. Don't go. Right. Don't do it. You know, so Anyway, well, it's yep. it's like uh, what are Massey's three questions he always asks. I'll probably forget one of them, but the first one is, is it constitutional? The second one is, can we afford it? And the third one is, is it necessary? And yeah. you know, you if you if you as a legislator, and and you know, I say this to you as a as a metro council person, if you as a legislator ask yourself those three questions every time something comes up for a vote, do you know how many times we would just vote things down? They just wouldn't happen because there's no need for it, or it's unconstitutional, or it's not affordable. You know, that would save us so many laws. My wife and I watched this uh, film last night. It was a documentary. Um, if you get a chance, check it out. It's on Netflix, and it's only it ex or. Uh, is it Netflix or Hulu? It's on Hulu. It expires in like 11 days. And it's called Dinosaur 13. Okay? Sit down with your wife and watch this. Because it's it's not a political story in the sense that it's not a traditional left-right story. It's about some paleontologists who found the largest, most intact T-Rex skeleton ever found in history. And they found mm -hmm. it in western South Dakota. And it's the story of how they found it. They dug it up. They purchased it from the landowner, and then the government raided them, seized it, put them on trial, and threw one of them in jail. The story is mind-boggling, but it's a perfect example of how mm -hmm. how easy it is. And these, I, I told people when I posted about it on social media, I was like, stop thinking because you're not doing anything wrong. You don't have anything to worry about. Because, yeah, Jeb, yeah. Go ahead. So you, you, Jeb Bush, when he was right, I think right after he was governor of Florida, I, he, he said something that was so profound. And again, and, and he admitted that he himself, you know, I remind people, John Adams, who's one of my favorite founding fathers, I, I would argue easily just as important as, as uh, George Washington or Ben Franklin or Thomas Jefferson, and maybe even more arguably, depending on you know, how you interpret right what was really going on. But to the founding of this country, even he who, I mean, risked his life for freedom, signed into law the Alien and Sedition yeah. Acts, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you, so here is a man who put his life on the line against his government, committed tyranny, right? right. And then against threw journalists in jail. <laughs> That's right. That's yep. right. So, so, so Jeb Bush finally said one time, he's like, you know what the problem being a politician is? And he's, he's couldn't be more right about this. You get calls every day, emails every day. Please help do this, do that, uh, this other thing's a problem, blah, blah, blah. Your inclination, most politicians, most ones that I've met, right, particularly when you talk local politics, 
they do think of this as service, right? Public service. So what are they doing? They want to serve. They want to help, right? So their inclination is to do something. Sometimes the right answer is not to intervene, right? Right? Because the power and the unintended consequences of the government intervention could be way worse, yeah, way worse yeah. than what you were trying to solve, yeah. You know, and 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 politicians just have such a hard time remembering that. You know, I I love your example of John Adams. Thomas Jefferson is my favorite president. Um, I sure. love the Don, John Adams series that History Channel did. Love uh, but it. what what I was gonna say is, I'll take your history lesson a little farther because I love what you did about this Alien and Seditions Act. Here's one that a lot of people don't know: Thomas Jefferson and John Adams did not get along, and that was one of the reasons Jefferson hated hated the Alien and Seditions Act, fought against yep. it tooth and nail. When he was elected after John Adams, when he became the president, when Thomas Jefferson became president, you know what the first yep. thing he did was? Did, didn't he repeal them? He or, repealed yeah, them, right. but do you know what he did That's before right. he repealed them? No. He used them. He used them before he repealed them. I kid you not. I kid you. I tell you. So that's the funny part. Is like it. It even makes your point even more profoundly. Was that it's counter. You know, he he vehemently hated it and 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 dis disliked John Adams and then used them one time and then and then got rid. To his credit, he got rid of them. (laughs) You know, but he still used them because the power right. was there and it's like that's, that's what it right. yeah that's what it is so man we could go on forever so i have a proposal for you okay yep. get this law passed and i'm due to get back to kentucky here pretty soon and you and i will do another episode from a cigar bar and if we can't get it done in louisville we'll go over to jake's in lexington all right and we'll do an episode from the cigar bar Oh, let's, let's edit this proposal moderately. I have an amendment, if you will. Okay, all right. Uh, so, so the amendment is we will do. Why are you going to be all political get, about this? <laughs> I am. I am such a Robert Rules of Order. Nerd. I know. I love it. Like, I, yeah. so, so, uh, so when if this passes, we'll do it in the cigar bar. If it doesn't, uh, there is a. Uh, there is a massive, you know, outside of Miami, Louisville has one of like the largest Cuban American populations in the oh, country. Sweet. Yeah. Huge. There is a restaurant, La Bordeguita de Mima, which is owned by a, a constituent of mine, right? Cuban American immigrant uh, lives in District 19. His rest, the restaurant's a Nulo. It is packed to the gills. Can't get into the damn place. But I mean, we will get, they have a, they have a quote cigar lounge. It's outdoor. So the Dude, government can't regulate. We're there. We, yeah, it is all decorated Cuban facade. It is they, they have been leading the charge. You should see the rallies they're organizing about I free love Cuba it. and all this. I and we're going to go it. there. We're going to enjoy some of the best Cuban food I've ever had in my life. Okay, okay, I'm telling it's you, on. we will. Yeah, we'll do it. It's, I almost hope we could just do it there because that's perfect. We're doing the podcast yeah. from there. We're doing it. Listen, Anthony, Absolutely. I love you, man. It's great talking to you again. Keep fighting for freedom. We appreciate you, and uh, I'm gonna keep forwarding you emails I get where people are wanting to know when are you running for mayor. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> All, right, <sorry. laughs> All right, have a good one. You too. All right, Anthony Piagentini, friggin' love that guy on the Disruption Zone. All right, big thanks to Councilman Anthony Piagentini, and big thanks to you for listening to the podcast. Uh, tomorrow, gun-free zones, not in Kentucky. We're going to have uh, state legislator um, Savannah Maddox on to talk about that. And later in the week, Jack Maxwell, former host of Booze Traveler, will be on the post podcast as well. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Appreciate our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, 6200 Hit Lane, Louisville, Kentucky. They did our kitchen and our master bath. I stand by what they can do for you. If you're thinking about redoing your kitchen, now's a great time. Home equity loan could be like just pennies on the dollar in terms of interest. It'd be a great time to get that dream kitchen you've always wanted if you're in your forever home. If you're not and you want to flip the home you're in now so you can get to your forever home, great way to improve your investment is to get that kitchen taken care of. If you're already a do it, and, and they have three designers on staff, George, Michael, Michelle, Kelly, they'll all help you put together your turnkey kitchen remodel. Or if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they've got cabinets in stock. they got countertops like laminate they can cut today for you, or uh, you can order any type of countertop that you want. Go to LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com or call 502-930-3304. This is where I recommend all my friends go to get their kitchens done. It's the real deal. Tim Montgomery and his guys will get you taken care of. All right, big thanks to uh, Dynamics Audio Productions for their help with the program. To my uh, missing in action uh, co-host Cameron Mills. Supposed to be back on sometime next week. We'll see. Um, 
And uh, to you, the listener, thanks for downloading us. You can download us at iHeartRadio's uh, podcast app. You can also download us at Apple Play uh, or Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Wherever podcasts are found, you pretty much find us. So share it with your friends. Give us five-star reviews. It really helps. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Leland Show and at Zone Disruption. And on uh, Instagram, it's at Greatly Londo and at The Disruption Zone. Thanks for listening to The Disruption Zone. <laughs> <laughs>